you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Today's message is entitled Success and Succession. And if you could define succession, one definition looks like this. A number of people or things sharing a specified characteristic and following one after the other. A number of people or things sharing a specified characteristic and coming one after the other. That could be a definition of discipleship. In the context of discipleship, that specified characteristic, of course, would be a relationship with God and love for God and a lifestyle of living out everything it is that Jesus taught us about how to do life. Amen? Have you considered that the result of discipleship is leadership. A good leader is not someone who has many followers. A good leader is someone who makes more leaders. I have a question for you. Why this series? Why study leadership? Well, for two things. Number one, we want you to be able to recognize a leader worth following. And number two, we'd like you to become, to become a leader worth following. How many of you know a word of encouragement from a teacher to a student can change a life? How many of you know a word of encouragement from a spouse can can save a marriage? A word of encouragement from a leader can inspire a person to reach their potential. Now, some of you may not think of yourself as a leader. And if this describes you, then consider this. If you made a personal decision to invite Christ into your life, then remember that the leader of all leaders dwells within you. I mean, he's like a 24-7 personal coach leading you as you face challenges in life so that you can represent the, great, the greatest leader within you. Now, even if a person is just five years old, if they have a little brother or sister or other little ones who are watching, then they're influencing You know, think of it this way. Leadership is the same thing as influencing. If somebody's watching, you're influencing. You may be leading well, or you may be leading poorly, but you are leading. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a leader. (laughs) If you're not convinced... You know, I mentioned the greatest leader of all leaders dwells within you. And he's like a master jeweler who has found a diamond and he sees the value of this precious gem. You know, the diamond is the most precious of all precious stones and you are the highest of all creation. But you know when you find a diamond in the rough? I mean, it's not like the pictures you see in the magazines or on TV. When you first find a diamond, it looks like a rock and it's dirty and it's rough on the edges. But the master jeweler, he looks at that and he sees the value and the preciousness and the beauty as he cleans it and cuts it away to perfection. And that's God's vision for you, for your life. That's how he sees you. As a leader, remember, everyone needs encouragement. And everyone who receives it is changed by it. You know, whether you're young or old, successful or not so successful, unknown, or maybe famous. Everybody needs it, and everybody's changed by it. In this five-week series, 
we're looking at leadership qualities of various leaders from the Old Testament. And so what I'd like to do is just review some of the leaders in the Old Testament. I don't know, you can't see this too well. The resolution's kind of low. But let me just say that at the top, when Israel first began having kings, there was Saul and David and Solomon. And then the kingdom split into two. And so you had the northern kingdom of Israel and you had the southern kingdom of Judah. And so on the right side, you have the southern kingdom in green of all the kings in Judah, of the southern kingdom. On the left side in red, you have all the kings of the northern kingdom. And then we looked at these various kings. There was Saul at the top, then David, Solomon, and then skipping down all the way to Hezekiah, we're going to look at the life of Hezekiah. We're going to look at several passages, but most of our text is from 2 Kings chapter 20. If you want to turn there in your device or in your Bible. Most of the passages are from 2 Kings chapter 20, but the entire life of Hezekiah is in chapters 18, 19, and 20. And it would take too long for us to read uh, in our time frame today. And so I'm going to be summarizing most of it. I'll just show you a brief background about Hezekiah. Uh, He was 25 years old when he began to rule and reign in Jerusalem in the southern kingdom of Judah, and he reigned for 29 years. His father was Ahaz. Ahaz was the king before him. His grandfather was Hezekiah. Hezekiah was actually a king in the northern kingdom of Israel, and his mother or his daughter was Abby, who married Ahaz, and the two of them together had Hezekiah. And I share all of that genealogy with you. I thought it was kind of interesting that here on Guam, when we talk about our identity, Oftentimes, we do that by identifying our family. You know, people will come up to me and go, hey, boy, who's your grandma? I go, my grandmother is Tanilena Beneventi. You know, we didn't know when we were little that it was biblical to do that. But relating through the different relatives here is something that we read about in 2 Kings chapter 18. Quick snapshot about Hezekiah. He ruled for 29 years. And the Bible says he was a good king. And so what was it that he did that was pleasing to the Lord? I want to read about that in 2 Kings chapter 18. He trusted in the Lord. We could just stop right there. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses, and the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. So Hezekiah ruled in Jerusalem 29 years. He started at the age of 25. This passage reveals that he was zealous for God, more than any of his predecessors. And he immediately, he opened the temple, which his father, King Ahaz, had severely damaged, and he thoroughly cleansed it, he reinstituted the Levites in their, and the priests to minister in the temple. And then he invited Israel, the northern kingdom, to come and celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem, which had not done, been done properly for years. In our context, you could say Hezekiah got the church going again. You could say that he started a revival. Because Hezekiah put God first, everything he did 
he prospered. Because he put God first in everything he did, he prospered. And the Bible specifically highlights this. In 2 Chronicles 31, we'll read that. In all that he did in the service of the temple of God and in his efforts to follow God's laws and commands, Hezekiah sought his God wholeheartedly. As a result, he was very successful. And so you see there highlighted there are two things that he did. He sought God wholeheartedly, and in all that he did, he worked wholeheartedly. Now, this is a simple formula that worked for Hezekiah 2,700 years ago, and it'll work for you today. It doesn't matter if you're a student, a father, a mother, a business person, a teacher. It doesn't matter if you work outside or you work at a desk. If you want to be successful, there's something here that we can learn from Hezekiah. He did two things. He sought the Lord with all his heart, and he worked hard. Now, some people are too lazy to work hard. It's almost as if they're like they're allergic to work. Some people are working really hard and doing things God didn't ask them to do. It's like Martha making sandwiches Jesus didn't ask for. Neither laziness nor workaholism are part of God's plan. The way of God's kingdom is to seek him first, to get direction, finding out what God is doing, and then working to join him. This is one of the paradoxes of the Christian life. It's a paradox that God promises to do things, and yet it requires work on our part. For example, the people of Israel, God promised that he would give them the promised land. I mean, that sounded really good at first, until they found out that it included having to fight with giants and dealing with fortified cities. I mean, wouldn't it have been nice if God had just removed all the inhabitants And they could just walk into houses that were built and vineyards that were already planted and just live happily ever after. Now, wouldn't it be nice when we became Christians that God just downloaded by the Holy Spirit a complete knowledge of Scripture and verses already memorized and this passionate desire just to pray hours every morning and this boldness to be able to share our faith. But you know, God doesn't relate to us in that way. It says he gives us our salvation. And then he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do you ever get discouraged because the Christian life seems more difficult than you thought it would be? Don't be discouraged. God's gift is perfect. And he's made it perfect in such a way that as you unpack it and as you explore it, you too will become perfect. So all of this to say, it's not all God or all me, it's both. We need to seek God, but we also need to work hard. We need to seek God in what he's doing, and then we need to work hard to join him in that. It's both. And this was Hezekiah's rise to leadership. He sought God, and he worked hard. Unfortunately, Hezekiah also had a weakness. And so we want to see what we can learn from his life. You know, I like what Armin said a couple weeks ago. He said, yes, we're going to make mistakes, and we should learn from them, but we need not make mistakes in order to learn. Amen? We could also learn from the mistakes of others. (laughs) So we want to see what lessons we can learn from Hezekiah's downfall. So I want to share with you the drama of what happened during his life. It's a very 
interesting story. I encourage you to read it. 2 Kings chapters 18, 19, and 20. And there are other parts of Scripture that also give insight into what happened during his reign. But that's the bulk of it right there. encourage you to read it on your own. I'm just going to summarize a lot of what happened. Um, Ryan, if we could go back to the map. I want to take a look at that for a moment. So in the blue, you have the northern kingdom of Israel. Hezekiah is down bottom. And the capital is Jerusalem by the star. The capital of Israel is Samaria. You see the star up there in the middle of the blue section. And if you look to the very top right, you see it says Assyrian Empire. Hezekiah hadn't been king for three years when the king of Assyria decided to come down north and just decided to take over. And he laid siege to the city of Samaria. It was a fortified city. After three years, they captured the city of Samaria. The king of Assyria then spent another six-year campaign, military campaign, conquering all the fortified cities in Israel, in the blue section. And so Hezekiah had been king nine years. The king of Assyria is taking over every city in the northern kingdom, and now he's coming down south for Jerusalem. And so King Hezekiah thinks, okay, i got to stop this, or we're history. And so he sends a message to the king of Assyria, and he says, I violated our treaty, but I give you this gift. If you'll take it and leave, we'll call it good. What do you think the king of Assyria thought when he received this gift of gold and silver? It was a lot. I mean, he gave him all the gold and silver he had. He even stripped the silver off the doors of the temple in order to give it to the king of Assyria. What do you think the king thought? He thought, man, these guys, they're already defeated. They already quit. They already acquiesced. They're trying to bribe me just to walk away and make it easy. I'm not going to do that. So the king of Assyria sends a delegation down to Jerusalem. And Hezekiah sends his delegation out to meet them. And they basically say, hey, you've seen everything we've done. And we're coming here too. And so why don't you guys just quit? Just surrender now. We'll make it easy. And, uh, and we'll be nice to you. You just pay an annual tribute to the king of Assyria and be our, be our servants, and, and that'll be that. King Hezekiah is not going to save you. Don't trust in him. You've seen what our kingdom and what our military is doing. It was a very discouraging interaction between the two groups. So they went back and they told Hezekiah everything that was said, and he got on his face before God. And the word of the Lord came to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah came to him and said, I see what they're saying. I see their threats. You need to know it's not going to happen. God says, I'll put a snout in his nose. I'll lead him away and I will strike him down with the sword. And so the king of Assyria gets news that the king of Ethiopia is coming out to meet him. The Lord sends an angel in the night and kills 185,000 of the Assyrian soldiers. The survivors, along with the king of Assyria, who wake up the next day, see corpses everywhere. And so he goes back to his homeland. One day, the king of Assyria is worshiping his god, an idol, and his two sons come in and strike him down with the sword. And everything that the prophet Isaiah said had come to pass. Now you would think, man, if that wasn't enough. But then... In chapter 20, the story picks up and says, right after this, King Hezekiah fell deathly ill. He had a terminal illness. The prophet Isaiah came to him and said, 
The Lord says, get your affairs in order because you are about to die. You will not recover. And he leaves. Hezekiah is left there with this devastating news. And he prays to the Lord and he says, God, you've seen my service. You've seen my heart. I've tried to do my best in every way to do what was right in your eyes. And then he turned toward the wall and the scripture says he wept bitterly. And before Isaiah could even get out of the middle court of the palace, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah again. He said, go back to Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, and tell him that I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears and I will heal you. I will give you an extra 15 years. Now imagine you're Hezekiah. One moment this guy says you're about to die and get your affairs in order. You have no hope and no chance. Minutes later, he comes back and says, okay, 15 extra years. How would you feel? Like, really? Which one is it? The first one? The second one? And so King Hezekiah says to Isaiah, ask the Lord to give me a sign so I can know for sure. So Isaiah says to him, well, okay, how about this? Would you like the shadow on the sundial to go forward or to go backward? And Hezekiah says, well, it always goes forward. That's easy. Give me a sign making the shadow on the sundial go backward. And so Isaiah asks the Lord, and it happens. It's a miracle. It's a phenomenon that just just blows the mind. How could that happen? But it goes back 10 steps. Hezekiah, of course, now is convinced. And you would think that, well, you know what? Before I get into his response, let me just stop for a moment and make a comment about studying Scripture. The purpose of reading the Bible is not so that you can better know the Bible. The purpose of reading the Bible is so that you can better know God. And I want to encourage you to read your Bible from that perspective. Because if you're reading it to know the Bible, I mean, the Bible is thick. I mean, there is so much there. And not everybody is into studying, right? I mean, my kids, they love formal education. God bless them. But not everybody is about academia. I mean... Some people, you say Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, hermeneutics, all of that, and they're like, whoa, whoa, time out. I'm tapping out. It's it's okay. Thanks, but no thanks. Uh, You can do that if you like that. You know, and sometimes when you invite people to life group, those are the small groups that meet in our church, and somebody goes, life group, what's that? Well, you know, we, we, we do Bible study. Just that one word, study, you may have closed the door right there. I would suggest you don't do that. You tell them, would you like to come to a group where we learn about God and about your relationship with him and what God is like and how he relates to his people? Now we're not talking academia. Now we're talking about life, right? And so when you read the Bible, I encourage you to ask those questions. We just read an amazing story about the life of Hezekiah. Ask yourself this question. What does that say about what God is like? What does that say about how he feels toward people? What does that say about how he interacts with his children? Those are some amazing questions. I guarantee you, if you ask those questions as you're going through the Bible, it'll begin to change your relationship with God. It'll begin to change what you get out of Bible study. (laughs) And it won't be academic. It'll be life-giving. Amen? Hezekiah became terribly sick. God gave him a second chance. Unfortunately, Hezekiah didn't use his second chance to honor God. Now, you would think that after a great experience of faith in God, 
that Hezekiah's response would be filled with greater faith and thankfulness, right? You would think after being delivered from the Assyrian army, you would think after being delivered from terminal illness that Hezekiah would be grateful. Two of the greatest tests that we will ever experience are failure and success. After defeating the Assyrians and terminal illness, the Bible says Hezekiah became proud. Second Chronicles 32, we can read about it. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. He prayed to the Lord who answered him and gave him a miraculous sign. But Hezekiah's heart was proud and he did not respond to the kindness shown to him. There are two kinds of pride, both good and bad. Good pride represents our dignity and our self-respect. Bad pride is the deadly sin of superiority that reeks of conceit and arrogance. Therefore, the Lord's wrath was on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah repented of the pride of his heart, as did the people of Jerusalem. Therefore, the Lord's wrath did not come on them during the days of Hezekiah. Make a note of that. It didn't happen during his day. Instead of honoring God during his second chance, he was proud. But before he repented, how was it that he showed pride in his heart? Well, the way it happened was, instead of giving thanks, instead of honoring God, he was busy showing off the greatness of his kingdom. What happened was, now imagine the sundial going backwards. You know, when the position of the shadows on earth change in relation to the sun, that's not just happening in Jerusalem. That's a global thing. So this is something that everybody is wondering what is going on. And so the Babylonians knew this had happened. And they heard that the Assyrian army had been on like a six-year campaign going through northern Israel, headed down to Judah. And then the king of Assyria retreats and goes back home. And the Babylonians are the next up-and-coming world power. And they're wondering, how in the world did this guy do that? We heard he had a terminal illness. He got healed. And then the news is that there was a sign that accompanied it. And so the king of Babylon sent a delegation over to Judah. And so Hezekiah is hosting this group of dignitaries that come from a faraway land. And he had an opportunity to be able to tell them about his reforms and how he brought his country back into prosperity and about how God was amazing and God's power and how God demonstrated his grace toward him. He could have done all of that to talk about um, how God was at work in his whole story. But he didn't do any of that. Instead, what he did is he showed them all the treasuries, all the gold, all the silver, all the temple and the palace and everything that he had. Isaiah the prophet came to him after that visit. He said, who were those men? What were you guys talking about? What did you show them? Hezekiah said, I showed them everything. There isn't anything in my house they didn't see. And so Hezekiah was proud. He could have had a chance to tell them about how God had defeated the Assyrians, how he had recovered from a terminal illness. 
how God gave him a sign. But he didn't do any of that. Instead of testifying of God, he glorified himself. So in order to finish well, we need to avoid pride and self-centeredness and short-sightedness. And so we see the pride in the story that I just shared. I want to share with you a little bit more about how Hezekiah was self-centered. There was a prophecy that was given about Hezekiah's future. Isaiah the prophet came to him and he said, Hear the word of the Lord. He said, Behold, days are coming. Now, not in his lifetime, but days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up until this day shall be carried away to Babylon. Nothing will be left. Even your sons will be carried away. Some of them will be made eunuchs. And I couldn't believe it when I first read this years ago. Hezekiah said, the word the Lord has spoken is good. And I said, what? Good? How in the world is it good that you're about to go through this disaster? And then scripture gives insight at the end of 2 Kings chapter 20. It says, Hezekiah said that for he thought, why not? If there will be peace and security in my days. Wow. Really? As long as there's peace and security in my days and it happens later, I'm okay with it? You know, when he was told about his own death, Hezekiah prayed for a different outcome. But when he heard about the next generation's doom, he accepted the outcome. When he was told about the next generation's doom, he wasn't affected at all. When told about his own death, he asked for a sign to be sure about his healing. But when told about the next generation's doom, he didn't give them anything to prepare for the future. And this was a sad state of heart. He was simply relieved that it would not happen in his lifetime. Hezekiah showed himself to be almost totally self-centered, just concerned about his personal comfort and success. You know, self-centeredness, self-centeredness will make us more focused on ourselves and our reputation and our personal growth than preparing the next generation. You know, when we're consumed with success, it blinds us about the future. For the self-centered, the main focus is the present. And you know, we see this in, in all levels. You see it in government. I mean, our nation is just accruing trillions of, if you can even imagine how many that is, trillions and trillions of dollars of national debt. Not thinking about how that's going to affect the next generation and the ones to follow. Or sometimes you see it in parents who are just working, 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 working to amass more and more and not spending time with their kids to help them develop their character. Or maybe if there's managers who are just concerned about their promotion and the next step and they're not really investing in the employees and the people under them to train them, to teach them about the mission, the vision, the values of their organization. You know, at the root of self-centeredness, is getting our identity from our success instead of our relationship with God and the revelation that we're created in his image. So to finish well, we need to avoid pride and self-centeredness and short-sightedness. This last one, short-sightedness, there's always a danger of losing the next generation if we don't prepare them in the present. You know, all leaders want to be successful. You know, whether we're students whether we're an officer in an organization, maybe you're a life group leader, a coach, a parent, a manager, 
They all want to be successful in their leadership. But the desire to achieve something great and significant in their lifetime becomes the measure of success for most leaders. You know, Hezekiah should have prepared the next generation to succeed like David did. In 1 Chronicles chapter 22, David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. And the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, of fame and glory throughout all lands. I will therefore make preparation for it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. You know, unlike David, Hezekiah thought of himself and his days. And that's why he failed as a leader. Hezekiah missed the opportunity to give God glory. He missed the opportunity to prepare the next generation. And during the years of his recovery, he failed to prepare his son. You know, his son, his name was Manasseh. His son was 12 years old when he took the throne. And the Bible says he was the most evil king in all Jerusalem. Hezekiah started out well, but he did not end well. And it's a common pattern for many of us. We start out well, but we have to stick to the basics in order to end well. And one of the ways you can do this is simply to consider the vision to honor God and to make disciples. You know, a leader's success is seen in the next generation that he's raised. A good leader is not someone who has many followers. A good leader is someone who has many more leaders. A leader's failure is in failing to prepare the next generation. So here's the question. Are we preparing for success or succession? Paul said, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which you have in Christ Jesus. So putting all of this together, what can we do with it? How can you help the next generation seek God with all their heart and to work hard toward what God is doing? May I suggest being a role model and giving God the credit? Amen? Let's pray. I'd like to invite the worship team to come on up. Father, thank you for the amazing story of Hezekiah. Lord, thank you for the things that he did well. Lord, thank you for recording the things that he didn't. Father, thank you that you've given us your word to benefit us. Lord, to help us from making the same mistakes. God, I pray that you would help us to seek you first with all our hearts, Lord, and to work hard to follow after what you're doing. Father, protect our hearts from pride, from self-centeredness, from short-sightedness. God, I ask that you would lift us up, Lord, above our circumstances, above the challenges that we face. God, I ask that you would give us divine strategy to navigate life and the circumstances that we face. If you would just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, 
I got a text from one of the intercessors before the service this morning. And she said, I sense the words giving, I sense the Lord is giving me the word Goliath. And sensing that some people feel like in your circumstances you're facing a Goliath. And you feel discouraged. And you feel defeated. And I want to encourage you to be like David, to trust in the Lord, that He will enable you to be able to overcome whatever that situation is in your life. 